is the North American service broadcasting on 17.70, 15.42, 12.05, 
I definitely came to find out that it is beyond that. And now you're in a cult. I'm not in a cult. <laughs> I mean, technically. in a cult. I don't want to say I've infiltrated a cult, but I definitely have made a connection with some people who in are... In like a doomsday group. Yeah, in a doomsday group. But it's okay, because we'll get back to that. So, both Dom and I grew up during a time when the internet was taking a pivotal turn in history. I made my first MySpace account mm-hmm. when I was 11. How old were you? Probably like 12. Yeah. And you're a little bit older than me. Yeah, a couple of years. So yeah. it was basically when everyone else started making them, like right when it first became popular for younger people. Yeah. Because I know people used it for like networking and shit and music mm-hmm. and whatever. But then and it was like middle school kids started using it. Yeah. And that's when I started. Yeah. Be like 2006. Like t- <laughs> uh, before that. Before that. Way before. Yeah. Maybe like 2003. Yeah. 2002. Yeah. Because I made mine in 2006. Radio Grave lore, real quick. Mm-hmm. The first time I ever saw you with my eyes was not in real life. It was on MySpace. Was it on MySpace? Yes. and Or was it on Facebook? You know what? It was Facebook. We had the same Oregon Health Plan welfare glasses. We, we did. had the same frames. And your um, picture said Amber. Mm-hmm. Like RAR XD style. RAR XD style. From like, from above. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I never met you for like four more years. Yeah. Longer than that. I, I don't even know who our mutuals were, but somehow. Yeah. Because we were from the same area, but we lived in different towns. So. Right. Um, we we're a little different ages. But that's the thing is that that's weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then we met and we've been friends ever since. Literally. Literally. Yeah. But I made my first MySpace page when I was 11 mm-hmm. in 2006. And I remember it was registered to my very own Hotmail account using a Mozilla. I was always using a Mozilla browser. I don't even know if Chrome was a thing. It was like Internet no. Explorer and Mozilla. And nobody used Internet Explorer because it sucked. Everyone used Mozilla. Yeah. People used Firefox. Yes. Is that Firefox Mozilla? Mozilla right? Firefox. And then uh, my brothers used Opera. Opera. Which was like an open source browser or something. Weird. I hated the interface though. It was really ugly. Yeah. Mozilla um, was way cooler. Yeah, Mozilla was very good. Are you saying Mozilla? Do you say Mozilla? That's what I've been Mozilla? Saying. No, I don't think Mozilla. Mazalon. Mazalon. Mazatlan <laughs> Fuego Fox, bitch. <laughs> but yeah, MySpace. I had photos of emo girls, especially anime emo girls, as my MySpace profile pics, even though I don't think I even watched anime when I was like 11. I had a pink sparkle background with black bats and stars. And I, yeah. and I had coded it all myself because that's how MySpace worked. You had to code your own layouts. Another, sorry, I'm, I'm going to make your intro last forever. But the fact that we all taught ourselves HTML. Yes. And then forgot it. And then forgot it. <laughs> yeah, as soon as the MySpace era was over, it's just literally useless. When I was doing some research for this but for another topic, they were talking a lot about open source coding and, and doing all this stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't even imagine doing that shit. And I was like, I was doing that shit when I was 11 to put music and colors and layers onto my MySpace page yeah. and layouts. Like, it was not something I've never done before. I wonder if my monkey brain would just, like, remember it if I tried to do it again. Probably not. I've I've, <laughs> I've been able to. Really? A little bit, yeah. Um, I forget what I had to last use it for, but it was in, within like the last two years. Lord. I had I had to edit some HTML, and what I was like, fuck? I was like, how do I know? How do I know this? It's just you knew and it. How did I learn this? Uh, and I mean, 
because I, I used HTML for MySpace and I used it for LiveJournal also. Oh my God, LiveJournal. Um, Holy shit. I was big LiveJournal user for oh a long God. time. So my coding was pretty good. Yeah. I looked at alleged evidence, quote unquote, alleged evidence of paranormal pictures and, and ghosts on ghoststudy.com. Yes. I don't know if you ever remember ghoststudy.com, but I'd spend hours on that shit. I, I don't, but I... I would research ghost stuff all the time. And all that was like time. definitely before the MySpace era too. Mm-hmm. I was looking at paranormal shit and like trying anything I could find, anything I could find on the I, internet. I remember when I was really little, I was at the library. Yeah. Playing unsupervised on the internet as you do. Yes. Um, And I was looking up, I remember I was looking up like vampirism <laughs> and, and it was like, there were these pages, these like GeoCities pages that were like, you know, like sparkly yeah. red and black flashing background. Yeah. And it's like all the symptoms of anemia. How does it connect to vampirism? And I, was, and I was like, holy shit, this is it. This is the holy grail. And I printed it out. Literally. And my parents are like, what do you have? I'm like, nothing. Don't worry. Like, <laughs> yes, literally. What a golden age. It really was. Even just like going onto YouTube and being like real ghost videos. Right. I mean, today... YouTube has some pretty deep pockets in regards to how much they have indexed. Yeah. But in 2006, 2007, I mean, it was like 50 videos would pop up and you're like, holy fuck. They're you, real. You've never <laughs> seen that much before in your life. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so I spent many, many hours doing that. Mm-hmm. I also spent many hours on Quizilla. Love it. And I read really shitty fan fictions about stuff I don't even think that I like knew anything about. I or like didn't even know what it was about. Like I was just like, yeah, what is that? Oh yeah, I'm gonna go on Quizilla and found out what and find out what Hogwarts house I'm in and who's my who's my <laughs> Harry Potter boyfriend for like two hours. Yeah, like I'd go to the library because I didn't have a computer at home. Same. And I would check out the two hour computer, which I wasn't supposed to do because I wasn't using it for studying. I was using it to read fan fiction and play games and watch ghost videos and play on MySpace. Literally me. <laughs> See, we were fated to be best friends from the beginning. <laughs> and look at and obsessively look at pictures of Ryan Ross from Panic at the Disco because he looks like a little like girl. And I was like. Oh my god, he's like he's so hot. Like, of course. And uh oh my god, and just dreaming, oh my god, I wish I could go to Hot Topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, like never being able to like go into Hot Topic. Our hometown still doesn't even have a Hot Topic. They're like no. above it. They yeah, they they went from tiny town to tourist mega shithole. Yeah. Like within a span of <clears throat> no years. Like There's, it went yeah. from a nothing place to an extremely busy, shitty, gentrified place. I think it happened in like a four-year period or something. Yeah. It was like, it really like went up. And they just don't think that Hot Topic is going to bring anyone there. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's wrong. I don't think that's true. Yeah. I think that if they built a Hot Topic, they would come. Yeah. But they will come if they build a Hot Topic. They thems the they will, thems come. will come. <laughs> to buy all their animation. Oh, yeah. I don't like Hot Topic now, but when I was 11, it was like really fucking cool. See, yeah. It really speaks to an era, and we could we could have a full episode about just that that era of time and what life was like. It was awesome, but like the place that we were from was very disconnected from the world. Yeah, neither of us came from well-off families or households, so or stable ones, <laughs> right? Having internet access and for free, mm-hmm. like at the library, unsupervised total fucking game changer life changer yeah um because of all the things that you could discover and it's like a total escape as well 
total escape the um, biggest escape i've ever had yeah and my brain like didn't even understand yeah it. what was happening no like even at this time and even now the topic of what exactly internet literacy is and how important it is is still not like well discussed today not as well discussed as it should be yeah and back then it was virtually no one was talking right. about internet literacy then and it was a conversation that nobody thought about having and obviously like me as a young person as a really young person i didn't want to discuss it with anybody and especially with adults who didn't even know what the fuck they were talking about they didn't yeah. even know what was on the internet they didn't even know how it worked yeah they're like i i know how to send my email it's an email here's my email and uh here's my document and here's an article and you're like bitch i'm learning about ghosts bitch i'm learning about ghosts i'm watching decapitations that's right i'm watching decapitations i'm, I'm watching i just found out what a clitoris was i yeah like the like there's just so much that was there and there was so much that was just available and i think being gullible and naive and totally obsessed and using it as an escape there were a lot of things that i saw that were obviously fake and i didn't think for a second that maybe they were you know not real yeah i thought for sure that they were real like even today people say like oh you can't believe everything that's on the internet well that's come from this era of, of seeing stuff and being like why would this highly intelligent tool have things on it that aren't real you know what would be the point of that I'm watching real ghost videos and real decapitations. <laughs> I mean, the decapitations were real. Yes. The, yeah. The decapitations Those were, were very real. real. Yeah. They were very real. <laughs> but this is a time in which things were vague and virtual reality really started to become mixed with the actual real world. There was this weird blending that was happening and before we even go into our 2020 mystery, which is the Happy Valley Dream Survey, we have to look at something that happened way before, mm -hmm. where it was at least the first time for me, and I think for a lot of other people, at least people our age, got to see something that was a total blend of the virtual and the real world. Right. And it was tangibly blended and immersive, and a lot of people believed in it. And that thing was the legend of this man. This man has very simple origins and a history which is really easy to follow and a legacy which has remained influential to this day. Whether you know it or not. You've seen him before. You've seen I can him guarantee. before. Yeah. The lore is as follows. In January of 2006, a very reputable psychiatrist who we will just refer to as the doctor in New York City, would anonymously come forward after discovering a series of his patients were all having the same sort of bizarre experiences in their personal lives. These coincidental experiences all surrounded a figure that was enigmatic with an unforgettable face. It began several weeks prior to going public when the doctor first heard about this figure from one of their regular patients. This will be patient A. Patient A arrived for their appointment as per usual, but this time they had brought something with them, something that they felt they desperately needed to share. With them was a detailed and self-drawn black and white sketch of a man's face. But this wasn't just any man. Patient A would claim that the face they had drawn was the face of a man who had been visiting them in their dreams. The face of the man was eerily lifelike, but was simultaneously unnerving. The man's face fit the perfect example of uncanny valley. And if you don't know what the term uncanny valley is or means, 
The term uncanny valley is often used as an adjective to describe something, but it originally was a term to describe a strange feeling or uneasiness in response to coming into contact with something that does not look or seem normal. It occurs when your logical brain recognizes a subject's face or body as something that seems human, but your subconscious detects the subject as being slightly abnormal or a little bit off. As a result, you may begin to feel like you're in uncanny valley. From what we know, the term uncanny valley was coined by Japanese roboticist Masahiro Mori in 1970. Mori used it as a positive term and theorized that humans will likely develop stronger feelings of empathy towards androids or robotic beings if they closely resembled humans with lifelike features. Basically, the more human they look, the more we recognize them as one of us. It's like an empathy thing. Yeah. Today, Uncanny Valley is used to describe a myriad of things that pose as humans with familiar likeness. Most commonly, bizarre police sketch portraits with exaggerated features. It has been proven that exaggerated features help in remembering the faces of people in real life. So that's why they do that in police sketch photos where they give them like extra big teeth or an extra big nose Mm -hmm. or like a twisted neck because they have like a neck condition. It helps people remember. Yeah, because when you see that person... If you saw them in real life, you go, oh, fuck, there's those teeth. Yeah, exactly. I remember from the picture. Mm -hmm. The same exaggerated features method is used in age-progressed photos of missing children or the sketches and reconstructed busts of murder victims, too. Mm -hmm. Most recently, AI-generated faces of people who do not exist are the most twisted of them all. With some AI faces, you can tell they are generated, but with others, we can't tell the difference at all. So your mind says, that's a human being, but your subconscious says, that is not a human being. You need to get away from that. It's a fight or flight. So back to the sketch. What did this dream man's face look like? Hot. It was super hot. (laughs) Well, it wasn't really actually hot. It was pretty weird. His face was somewhat round with prominent and large ears. His hair was dark and styled in a comb over, obviously to conceal some balding. And he had a wide mouth not inhumanely wide, but unusually wide. Inhumane? Inhumanely? Inhumanly. <laughs> he had a... He had that's, a, a <laughs> that's fucking inhumane. He had a wide mouth, not inhumanly wide, but unusually wide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had a thin bottom lip and a non-existent upper lip and no philtrum. His mouth and a slight smile or to some a smirk. He had a slightly wide button nose and two thick overgrown caterpillar eyebrows, which met together in an almost perfect unibrow. They were like two heavy weights on his face. His eyes were pitch black, sanpaku, and droopy with hooded eyelids. The fucking gigantic heavy unibrow is what always stood out to me. Yeah. And it was the mouth I mean, all, me. all of his features are big. If I remember correctly, his eyes are too big his eyes are weird everything is weird it looks like a collaged face it looks like a collaged face for sure and the thing is that like of course like you're not expecting someone to be able to draw a perfect face that looks totally human but there are things that are about it that are overly human and then there are things that are overly exaggerated that are inhuman yeah and that's what makes it weird so the doctor obviously had many questions for patient a what kind of dreams were they what exactly was the man's significance within them. Patient A explained that they had been seeing this man in their dreams for quite some time, but as of recently, the man was appearing to them almost every night. They claimed they had never met or seen the man before in real life. Only in their dreams did he exist. They explained that the man would come to them, and most often he offered life advice. 
They described the man as seeming very intelligent, but plain. It did not offer much other details. At the end of the session, the doctor was able to keep the sketch in his office. It's not entirely clear if the doctor asked if they could keep it or if patient A urged them to do so. The sketch of the man's face would end up placed on the doctor's desk for safekeeping, but only a few days later, the doctor would meet with another patient, and to the doctor's surprise, patient B would be suddenly drawn to the sketch of the man's face on their desk, and almost immediately, patient B would tell the doctor, I know this man. I see him in my dreams. Mm -mm. Of course, the doctor was a little surprised by this admission and very curious, and they asked patient B for more information. And patient B would tell the doctor that they dream of the man often, but they had never met him or seen the man in real life. After patient B's appointment ended, the doctor decided to send copies of the sketch of the man to a couple of their colleagues. They explained that two of their own patients claimed to be experiencing nocturnal visits from the man in their sketch. Curious that maybe other people were seeing the man in their dreams too, the doctor asked their colleagues if they would be willing to question if their own patients had ever seen the man from the sketch in their dreams. Within a few months, out of many more dozens of patients, four more people would confess to their doctors that they had also recognized the face of the man. They all claimed they had seen the man in their dreams, but never in real life. The patients only referred to him as this man. So that's the origin story and the history of this man. But that's not where it ends. Not by a long shot. Because if you're around our age or a little bit older, you'll recognize the term this man because of these flyers and images that started appearing everywhere. It's unclear when the flyers began to appear or who exactly was responsible for putting them up, but sometime in the year of 2008, people started to find strange flyers on city streets all over the world. Literally. Ta yeah, taped to telephone poles, streetlights, store windows, bulletin boards, and everywhere else you could think of. These flyers were simple, bold, and bizarre. Front and center was the face of this man, the original rendition sketched by patient A. With the text in big black letters, the flyers read, Ever dream this man? Every night all over the world, hundreds of people see this face in their dreams. If this man appears in your dreams too, or if you have any information that can help us identify him, please contact us. www.thisman.org and when the masses went to this website, they were met with a very simple display, the face of this man on a blank white screen. At the bottom of the page, there was an explanation for what the purpose of the website was. To offer support to those who had dreamt of this man, and to search for the answers as to why he was visiting us in our dreams. To the left of the page was an array of tabs to choose from. There's the History tab, which offered a brief history of who and where the man came from, as well as an explanation for what the purpose of the website was, to offer support to dreamers and to search for answers. There's the Theories tab, a place that provided a series of theories as to why this man was being seen in dreams. A Contact tab with an email, info at thisman.org. And there were four other tabs available as well. Portraits, News, Around the World, and Dreams. With the contact email available, people from all over the world began to send in their own submissions. People drew their own interpretations of this man, and others sent in photos of flyers from cities all around the world, and of course, their dreams. So here are a few from thisman.org. I saw this man in my dream dressed as Santa Claus. When he showed up, I felt so happy, just like when I was a little girl. 
Then he smiled at me, and his head became a balloon, floating in the air above me, but no matter how hard I tried to catch it, I just couldn't reach it. The next dream says, I have never had homosexual relationships or even fantasies. Yeah, right. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> but I dream about having sex with this man all the time. I must admit he has a lot of imagination and he pleases me. Sometimes when I wake up, I discover I've had a nocturnal emission. Yeah. <laughs> the next dream says, I dreamt this man was in my mirror watching me, saying nothing, and he was wearing glasses. He never moved the entire time I saw him. He was like a statue, so still. I dreamt this man was Brazilian and very handsome. He was a school teacher with six fingers on his right hand. He said if the U.S. had a nuclear disaster, go north. Hmm, interesting. Each person's submission was different in details, themes, and theories. In some, he is a lover. In some, he is a murderer. Some said they had been given cryptic advice, or that this man told a premonition, which came true. There were many who believed this man was a sort of religious symbol, believing that he may be a form of God or the creator, or maybe he was a demon attempting to drive the dreamer towards sin. Others thought maybe he was a dream surfer, a living, breathing person who had the ability to enter into other people's dreams, forcing them to perceive him the way he wanted to be perceived. Some swore that he was a shapeshifter, and others theorized that he was just an amalgamation of the collective human race's subconscious. The story of this man was so unreal and unnerving, and his face was haunting and unforgettable. Within just a few months, thisman.org garnered more than 2 million visits and 10,000 plus emails from people sharing their dreams, sketches, theories, pictures, and even just their personal thoughts about this man. This man had turned into an enigmatic figure with an ever-growing community of followers in search of the truth. People weren't just talking about this man on the internet, they were also talking about him in newspapers, magazines, on TV, and the radio everywhere. At the time, it seemed impossible, but people were actually dreaming of this man and talking about it. If you enjoy our content, please rate, review, and consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash radiograve. You can also support us with a one-time donation by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash radiograve. Your patronage and support helps us continue to create content for you. You can stay up to date with us by following our Instagram account, Radio Grave Podcast. Thank you for listening. So the question was this, is it all real or is it a hoax? How could hundreds of thousands of people be dreaming about this man? How could this be a hoax if so many people were being affected and believed it to be true? How could something so bizarre and fantastical be real? Where did the flyers come from? Who was running thisman.org? Obviously, it didn't take long for the truth to come out. No, it really didn't. No. <laughs> because uh, today we know that the legend of this man was a hoax created by a man named Andrea Nutella. Andrea Nutella. That's his name. Nutella. Who is Andrea Nutella? <laughs> but who is Andrea Nutella? The, the creator of Nutella? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Andrea Nutella. But he's Italian. So. Nutella. No. Not Nutella. Nutella. Yeah. It's supposed to be Andrea Nutella. That's how I'm supposed to say it, but I'm um, not going to do Andrea that. Andrea Nutella. Nutella. Yeah. So.
Andre Nutella was and still is an internet journalist, internet concept designer, and the founder of his own advertising company called Guerrilla Marketing Agency. Not a very creative name for someone who is considerably very creative. <laughs> Nutella's marketing company has been described as an unconventional communication agency, which uses guerrilla marketing strategies for advertisements, art campaigns, and communications. You may be asking, what is guerrilla marketing? And according to Wikipedia, guerrilla marketing is a strategy in which a company uses surprise or unconventional interactions with public audience to promote a product or service. Traditional advertising media channels such as print, radio, television, and direct mail have all become boring and uninspiring. So guerrilla marketing focuses on taking the consumer by surprise to make a dramatic impression about the product or brand. Guerrilla marketing is relatively inexpensive and focuses more on reach rather than frequency. For guerrilla campaigns to be successful, they need to have imagination, energy, and time. Nutella is best known for his unusual art projects and creative subversive hoaxes. He tends to be unafraid of exploring controversial topics and themes within advertising and art, like pornography, politics, propaganda, and violence. According to a profile belonging to Nutella from a bizarre Italian convention hosting website, he lists himself as a self-proclaimed magician and claims to specialize in sleight of hand. He has also published many essays under a series of unknown pseudonyms. So it's like, did he really write them? I don't know. I haven't been able to find any connected to him, but mm. he says this, that he has uh, published many essays under a series of unknown pseudonyms. The topics of these essays include ufology, extreme sex, and, quote, the art of sabotage, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. So it didn't come as a surprise when thisman.org was exposed as being an artsy hoax created by Andre Nutella in 2010. Web sleuths on 4chan were able to expose Nutella after successfully reversing the IP address of thisman.org, uncovering that the website was being hosted by the same company which hosted Nutella's marketing website. Once discovered, Nutella admitted that he had fabricated the whole story. Nutella claimed that he had based the original sketch of this man on a photo of his father from when he was young. He claimed that he was inspired to create this man by the concept of dream invasion, a topic which he had seen in some movies and read about at length. He claimed that he wanted to explore the power of the internet to create and spread urban legends and collective myths. And boy, was he very successful in doing so. <laughs> yeah. I honestly feel like just from reading about this guy and like seeing the other stuff he's done, I think that he did it and then he saw the result and then he was like, I wanted to do this because I wanted to utilize the internet to spread an urban legend and create my own myth. It's like, I think you just did something and it went viral and now you're like, hell yeah. Shortly after the truth about this man was uncovered, the production company Ghost House Pictures bought the domain for thisman.org. Ghost House claimed there was a horror movie in the works loosely based off Nutella's creation, and it was going to be titled This Man, literally. Hmm. And a synopsis of This Man from Ghost House was, quote, an ordinary guy who discovers that people he has never met are seeing him in their dreams. Now he must find out why he is the source of nightmares for strangers all over the world. Sounds kind of lame. It was believed that Nutella's This Man project was undoubtedly associated with This Man, the movie, and was created purely for commercial purposes. Nutella never confirmed or denied whether or not he was hired by Ghost House for marketing. However, Nutella would claim that This Man was nothing more than a publicity stunt. And even if Nutella had created This Man for the Ghost House movie, it was pretty clear that the hoax itself was most likely going to be more successful than the movie. 
Right. And also nothing ever remotely associated with the legend of this man came from Ghost House in any way, shape or form. I couldn't find this movie. Yeah. I didn't even know that that was a thing. I think it was that like... they had bought the rights. Yeah. I, ha- I didn't even know that. And Ghost House does tons of stuff. Like... Yeah. When even, I read that, I, I was even like... now. Yeah. When I read that, I was like, oh my God. Like, I should, I should see if this is like maybe something that just didn't pop off. And right. it didn't exist. Like, they never made it. <laughs> Which is like weird that like, oh, it comes out as a hoax. And then Ghost House buys the domain. And then X, Y, and Z... And they're, I think they were like, oh, cool, we can use this as marketing now and people will come see this movie. Right. But they never, and they never finished it. I don't know. It's a shame. They could have used it for something cool I don't, and not the synopsis that they put down. I don't think that they had the ability to make it cool because I don't think anything could be better than what the legend was and how crazy it popped off all over the world. In 2015, Nutella interviewed with a naive journalist from Vice who somehow did not know that this man was a hoax. This was in 2015. This was forever after. Well, I mean, I think people still, even now, there are people who don't know that it's a confirmed hoax. I didn't know it was a confirmed hoax until you just said that to me. Really? Wow. Yeah, no, no, I thought it was like, yeah, we're pretty sure it's just made up. Oh, really? Wow. I don't think that was super publicized. Kind of makes sense, but also like... It would also make sense that a vice journalist would maybe do research. <laughs> but I don't think vice journalists do that. They do. They do. Just not as... Not anymore. They do guerrilla journalism, dog. Not anymore. Guerrilla. But it was a hoax, right? So uh, Nutella rolled with the interview giving the impression that this man was real and that he had actually brought the dream phenomena to light, not that he made it all up as a publicity stunt. It wasn't until after the publication went up and was read by thousands that Vice published a retraction on the article clarifying that they had fallen for the hoax in the retraction they say quote we run a story it turns out to be something that was denounced in 2009 and could have been easily verified as fake with a single google search a few people call us dickheads and the editorial team drowns in their tears sometimes we mess up uh yeah whatever the interview was like really cringy too i like read the transcript of it because the thing is that this man was supposed to be like anonymous Mm-hmm. People are going to thisman.org. And then in the interview, he's like, Nutella is basically saying like, yeah, like I drew the picture and I see the man and I run the website and I'm looking for the answers and this and that. And the journalist is like, wow, okay, cool. Like totally like doesn't even know. <laughs> so not only did the journalist like not do anything, <laughs> like they don't even, they don't even understand like the original <laughs> legend or like the Mm -hmm. original significance of it but then they also like don't even know anything about anything it's like really cringy and i'm sure nutella's just sitting there like these people are so fucking stupid and i feel bad because you know it's just not good (laughs) he's not even like pulling a fast one on anyone yeah they're just not don't feel bad for other people's shoddy journalism they just don't have internet literacy but they're a journalist for like a virtual publication it's very uh it's very embarrassing (laughs) so And uh, so that's that. A writer from io9 named Annalie Newitz would give Nutella a sort of backhanded compliment in regards to the This Man project. Newitz praised him, saying that this man was Nutella's greatest masterwork. Her reasoning was that it was simply, quote, uncanny, cheesy, and a little bit scary. But especially because this man was unlike his other works, which Newitz described as being nothing more than, quote, artsy pseudo intellectual politics. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, he sounds to me very much like a like a Banksy character. Yeah. Or at least trying to be. And I mean, he did a good job with this man. 
but yeah. it is like very pseudo intellectual. I think it was a um, an unintentional hit. Yes, he just was like, yeah, I'm gonna do this thing, and then and then it blew up, and he's like, I'm amazing literally i am a genius i'm a magician and it's like no everything else that you've put a ton of work into is like, like not still annoying and everyone thinks you're a fucking prick the reason why it's like so amazing and so cool and and universally viral is because it is a cool concept yeah and it is original so like good job there but like you don't have to be like a pseudo intellectual political figure an artist to like create something cool it can just be based in you know a cool concept like that yeah so i don't think he expected it to go as big as it did either and i think that he like rode that wave and good for him i hope he's still doing well i couldn't find very much information about him he could be dead i don't know i wish only the worst <laughs> i don't hate artists me too actually Especially modern artists. And I kind of went on a tangent and I had to delete it because it was just too out of control. So the one good thing that he did flew off. The handles. Flew off the handle, right? Yeah. Uh, but the question still stands. How did Andrea Nutella cause the entire world to dream of this man? The most reasonable explanation was that it was most likely a dream imitation theory. Dream imitation theory is the idea that a person often dreams about things they've already seen. So think of it this way. A person comes into contact with a stranger, either in person, like on the street or in the grocery store, or not in person, like a random model in an advertisement or an actor on TV. Although being a complete stranger, their likeness somehow becomes subconsciously memorable. So you see a face and it's just, boop, it's in your subconscious because you've seen it. Right. Right. Then that night, Maybe even a few nights later, the person dreams of the stranger and can see their face in detail, but don't recognize them as someone they know in the real world. Yeah. Because consciously they don't, they don't know them. But their brain knows them. But their brain has seen them and processed them and mm -hmm. just holds it for some reason. So if the person's dream is particularly memorable, like an intense nightmare or one that holds an immense amount of philosophical meaning to them, it may leave a lasting mark on the dreamer even after waking. It's widely known that we as humans do not remember our dreams for very long after waking, so when we do remember them and remember the people within them, it can be a pretty profound experience for the dreamer. Right. I have a dream that I remember from when I was a child where I was running through the sagebrush with my mom and we were running away from a shirtless man with a knife. I was like little when I had this dream. I remember like clear as day, even today, shoulder length hair, a beard and large eyes, like bugging out eyes. In this dream, I believed I was going to die and it always stuck with me. And so did the man's face in the dream. And now that I'm older, I know that the man's face was not one that I had created in my child brain, but was the face of Charles Manson, because I probably saw his face on some cable true crime show or Dateline episode on TV by accident. Mm -hmm. And then I dreamt of him. That's how that works. You didn't know who he was. No, though. no. I but had you probably like walked through the room. Yes. And while your mom's watching something about Charles Manson. I wasn't like consuming Charles Manson imagery on purpose. But now that I'm older, it's the same exact face that, like, I know and see. Mm -hmm. At least to me, it's the same exact face. And that's the only thing I could connect it to. It's like, I never knew anyone in my real life who looked like that. Yeah. And it kind of always bothered me for a long time. And then I realized, like, oh, I think that was just Charles Manson. <laughs> yeah. I mean. It makes sense. Yeah. Now, yeah. now you know. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, that kind of proves the dream imitation theory. Yeah. The theory is centered around the power of subconscious suggestion. Yes. And how strong that power 
can be exactly. and how long lasting. So let's look at dream imitation theory in regards to the legend of this man. It's likely that when people saw this man's face, they found that he looked familiar. When they realized this man was a dream surfer, you know, going in and out of people's dreams, they came to the conclusion that he actually had been in their most memorable dreams, whether these dreams were positive, negative, or just plain weird. This man was having sex with people, he was giving them advice, he was attacking them with a knife, he was yeah. flying in the air like Superman, he was Santa Claus, he was Satan. Um, they specifically remembered him. They were absolutely positive this man was within their dream realm. But this was most likely because this man's only given association was with dreams and dream invasion. And this is the power of suggestion. If this man's face had a different association, it's very likely this same scenario would have happened. If this man was designed as a maniac on the loose, a predator who just moved to your city, or a secret government spy being chased internationally by Interpol, it's extremely likely that people would have recognized this man as any of those things. Yeah. Anything that he was... Associated with. Right. In a scenario where this man's association was that of a criminal on the loose, people would have likely come forward after seeing the sketch in newspapers, in magazines, on flyers, on the internet... Saying something like, I saw him at Walmart the other day buying hot Cheetos and motor oil. Yeah. But it was probably just a random guy with a unibrow. An exaggerated facial detail that was obviously memorable to the witness. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's a unibrow if I've ever seen one. <laughs> Literally. like you just remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's Literally. what I remember. Yeah. When I like, look if at you, him. like if you're like in Walmart and you see a guy with like a fucking crazy unibrow like, like this man. The and then you're like, holy shit. And then a week later, it's like this man murdered 25 school children in the next state over. And you're like, oh, I saw that guy. <laughs> and you would immediately like be like, holy shit. I know for sure. Right. But it probably wasn't because he didn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> so. Well, whether he was a dream surfer or a murderer or by hot Cheetos whatever motor oh yeah regardless uh the outcome would have likely been the same uh, once this man's face was seen he couldn't be unseen was there a strange man dream surfing <laughs> and visiting hundreds of thousands of people every night the conclusion is no <laughs> obviously not because it's a hoax but just because he's a hoax doesn't mean that people didn't dream of him and it doesn't mean he won't be visiting you tonight Oh. after you go look at the instagram <laughs> look at his face <laughs> yeah it, yeah you gotta go look at the instagram and look at his face if you've never seen him exactly and then try not to dream and about him giving you sloppy toppy i was just about to say giving you head <laughs> yeah there's a dick sucking eyebrow if ever i've seen one <laughs> oh my god Ew, so, gross. <laughs> so you may be wondering what happened after this man was exposed as a hoax and how is he even relevant today and he's extremely relevant today. You just may not know it. Throughout the mid to late 2010s, this man was used mostly as a template for memes. And they were actually relatively popular. They um, still are to me. They still when are. I see ones, I'm like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> stupid I'm chuckle. like, oh, what a cool throwback. Uh, <laughs> his face was often replaced by the faces of political figures, comedians, and goofy characters from TV and movies. And that's like pretty much it. It's actually kind of a boring meme sometimes. It's yeah. like Osama bin Laden or like. But it's still silly, really. You know. <laughs> uh, but in more recent years, this man is recognized more as a symbol of mystery and horror, a true icon. This man has inspired a large number of modern creations in literature and art. His likeness has been used in the design of many characters to give an added element of that uncanny valley to any creation. 
From April 2018 to April 2019, Shonen Jump ran a short manga series that was directly inspired by the legend called This Man, Death to Those Who See That Face. Nice. Shonen Jump is very popular. It's very is it still? It is. Because I remember it was when I was young, young. But... It's still popular now. If you don't know what Shonen Jump is, that's where Naruto came from. Oh, did it? Naruto started on Shonen Jump. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Neat. So, I mean, that's that's pretty crazy. This man also inspired an entire set of collectibles from the MMORPG Rift, and the collection was called Twisted, the Dream Traveler. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And this man's likeness inspired the design for the ventriloquist dummy in the TV anthology series Stories to Stay Awake, in the chapter titled Freddy, which I haven't watched this, but I've heard people talk about Stories to Stay hmm. Awake. Um, he has also made a number of cameos in television and movies. This man appeared in an episode of The X-Files from season 11. His face was on display in a picture frame <laughs> hanging on a wall in the background of one of the scenes. That's cool. And um, you probably dreamt of him after not even knowing that your subconscious saw him. <gasps> Trickery. And then this man was also featured in the 2019 video game AI, The Somnium Files, as a familiar face. Very much so. Yeah. So that's just a few of them. There were so many more, but I just couldn't put them all in. Like, I just chose the most relevant ones. But he's all over the place. You just don't know it. Yeah, because he's a cultural figure. Now he's a cultural figure. And yeah, a, and of, a, like, mystery and uncanny. And a horror symbol. And, and also an internet symbol, too. Yeah, I think he's, like, a really excellent representation of internet phenomena. It can be argued that this man was the first of many viral urban legends which used the power of mixing the virtual world and the real world together to create a figure that pushed the boundaries of what we believe could be real or a hoax. This man walked, so everything to come could run. More mysteries have followed over the years, but there is one in particular that was heavily inspired by the legend of this man, and it all began with strange flyers and dreams. However, how this mystery ended is far from that of the original legend of the dream surfer, this man. We will be diving deep into internet lore, an alleged secret society, and most importantly, the, the dream, dream realm. realm. <laughs> Just thought I'd say that with you. The dream realm. So when I initially started my research for this episode, I wasn't sure which direction it was going to go in, just to be frank. Because I really wanted to do an episode about this man. Mm -hmm. And it led me down a lot of different paths mm -hmm. into what I have developed today. And during the beginning stages of my research, I came upon another mystery, which is closely related to our main topic. And that's why this man turned into a larger topic in itself and then eventually became the Happy Valley Dream Survey topic. So... Before doing all this, I had never really heard of this particular mystery that we're about to talk about. Nora. And I was very surprised because it specifically originated from our home state. Mm -hmm. um, and being incredibly drawn to this mystery and it hitting rather close to home, I felt it would be a huge disservice not only to myself, but also to Dom and our listeners to not include this highly bizarre mystery, which remains an unsolved enigma to this day. This one, it just stays unknown. So it had been many years since this man and his dream surfing escapades had been proven to be nothing more than an artistic publicity stunt and hoax. And online, his face was being switched out for Osama bin Laden. Yeah, <laughs> shitty memes on 4chan. But there was something going on in the real world, which would suddenly come into view. It's unclear when exactly when this all began, but sometime between 2010 and 2015, 
weird flyers began to appear all over the city streets of Portland, Oregon. This city's cringy motto, keep Portland weird, gotta hate it, was now going to live up to its name. So these flyers that were hanging up all over Portland, they all conveyed the same bizarre message in bold letters. And they read, have you been having strange dreams? The Willamette Valley Dream Survey is investigating a recent spike in bizarre, unexplainable dreams. If you have been experiencing any unusual dream activity, you can help by reporting a summary. Please call 971-258-1465 with a description of your dream. And we're going to play the audio for uh, what happens when you call that number now. Calling the Willamette Valley Dream Survey. Please leave a detailed account of your dream after the tone. Transcripts or audio from your report may be duplicated in other media. The first person to publicly come forward questioning the flyers was a Redditor named Marcus Yellow when he submitted a photo of the flyer on the r slash creepy subreddit. The heading would say, have you been having strange dreams, a real sign found in Portland? Of course, his post exploded, and while the oldest comment is from eight years ago, the thread itself had garnered almost 2,000 upvotes and 275 comments. Most of the responses were dreams in which Redditors felt compelled to share, as this thread had obviously struck a chord with them. They found it comforting and possibly necessary to include their own thoughts and experiences. Others noticed right away and made the connection on their own that the flyers appeared to be somewhat inspired by this man, and that the Willamette Valley Dream Survey was obviously some sort of art project. Knowing Portland's reputation, it's easy to immediately regard these flyers as being part of an immersive public art project, and that's what many people believed and still believe. As an art project, it was an incredibly good idea. The concept of reporting strange dreams is a little abstract, but totally unique at least at this time in the early mid-2010s. People could call into a real phone number and report their real dreams to a fake survey. It was interactive, immersive, inclusive, and actually interesting. Yeah. Then the recorded dreams would be collected and compiled onto a CD and then sold in record stores, coffee shops, wherever. Or the dreams could be transcribed and published in a pamphlet, magazine, book, monetary gain from art. And it's likely people would buy the CDs or pamphlets. I would have. I definitely would have too. Yeah. 100%. I, I like that kind of thing. I do too. Wanting to get down to the truth of whether this was an art project, a hoax, or something real, Redditors hit the ground running and were eager to investigate the origins of the strange flyer. A Redditor would end up leaving a comment which stood out amongst the rest, paraphrased as follows. A quick Google search of the phone number brings up a German immersion summer camp for children, but it appears the camp's number has since changed. Attached was a link to the German summer camp website, and the link did in fact lead to a very real website for a very real German summer camp for children K-12, which is still active today. According to the website, the German summer camp is hosted at the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Park, and the theme for the summer of 2023 was fairy tales and fantastical stories. The camp is run by the Sophie Scholl Schule, which is operated in Beaverton, a city within the Portland metro. They also have a second school in Corvallis, which is a city 85 miles south of Portland. The school's mission statement seems to surround, of course, teaching German language while offering an immersion in German culture. It's a German school. Right. 
Under their values tab, they claim that their priorities surround high academic standards as well and claim that education is a right, not a privilege. Um, so they, they but, also require tuition. But they also require tuition. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a right, not a privilege. What? You have the right, but you get paid for it. Yeah. Fuckers. The German school thing is weird. I mean, no. It gets kind of weird. Okay. I'll read on. I'll, I'll find, I'll see for myself. The school also offers philosophy classes, but it's pretty vague about what sort of philosophy they teach. Hopefully nationalist socialism. <laughs> <laughs> the school claims that they aim to emphasize on the contemporary world and offer discussion in the topics of history, music, art, and film, which shape German culture. Quote, we try to make learning fun. It's not hard when you're as passionate about German as we are. I feel like maybe I have a different, like, I'm absorbing this information differently than you are. Really? I'm going to send my child to a German summer camp. Yeah. Why not? If there was Filipino summer camp, I wish my mom would have sent me. Yeah, but like, Germany's different. I, I can see where you're coming from. But I'm trying to think of it from, you know. An educational standpoint? From, from a standpoint of, you know, if you're... You're a little kid and you're you're German and you're like, I want to know. These are not German children. Oh, they're not? No. It's a German immersion summer camp. Oh, the, they're not German children. I, These I, are non-German children. I thought they were German children trying no. to learn about their culture. No. Oh. No. Oh. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, uh, it says here, you're right, um, the Sophie Scholl Schule is operated under the umbrella of Zeitgeist Northwest, which is an outreach program funded by the German government. <laughs> hmm. I mean, I mean, that's so funny that I didn't read that till just now. Um, I mean, may maybe they're just, they're trying to, they're trying to fix their reputation. Right. That was kind of my thing is I, I had no clue what the fuck their whole thing was about. Yeah. It's just weird. So I had to like include it and talk about it. <laughs> Because maybe this is Germany's way, like, to try and re-educate and make amends for their historical war atrocities. They do primarily focus on, like, modern and contemporary world uh, education of German culture mm -hmm. in regards to, like, folklore and music and art. Um, and, like, I understand there is a richness there. I'm not going to, you know, disregard that. But there is also, like, a lot of darkness there historically as well. So um, if you go to, like, on Zeitgeist Northwest about, it says... Quote, by sharing cultural traditions and heritage, Zeitgeist Northwest strengthens intercultural awareness and promotes vibrant, open, and inclusive communities. So it is totally like their way to try and, you know, kind of a re-education yeah. of saying like, this is something that happened in the past, but there is more to Germany than just this. Like, this is something that like is bad. We know that, yeah. but we want to share more with you and like we're passionate about that if you do go on their website and you look at what they offer to people mm -hmm. and it says like for those who want to uh polish or expand their skills and i was like my head was like in like nazi germany and i misread it and i got triggered and i was like polish like and then i was like oh polish not <laughs> polish like, i just saw like the word polish and i was like don't pull it germany poland oh it's like a whole thing yeah see it's it's hard to um it's hard to not think about world war ii when you yeah when you think about germany in general it's, and german immersion summer camps german yeah if you i'm going to german camp you're, you're what i'm going to german they're doing camp. it again yeah. like wait what it's, no it's an it's a culture immersion camp i 
I really sincerely hope that one day, as a world society, our immediate thought about Germany isn't that isn't Nazism. I, I hope that happens. One I mean, day. it's going to be hard because it hasn't even been a hundred years yet. I know, but one so day, one, day, one day, day, distant. Hopefully, before the Earth burns up and shrivels into a desert. So, in April of 2015. Oregon Live of the Oregonian published an article centered around the Willamette Valley Dream Survey flyers, but offered very little new information. Oregon Live pretty much asked all the same questions seen on Reddit. The tiny bit of new information Oregon Live was able to recover was a statement from the director of the Sophie Scholschule, Lynn Reese. Oregon Live asked her for a comment about the strange posters in Portland and why was their phone number attached to the flyers. Reese claimed that the number in question was produced by a Google Voice account, which was no longer in service and hadn't been active since 2013. She also stated, quote, all we do is German. I can see why you're checking into this. That is one weird poster. All that could be verified was that the origin of the Willamette Valley Dream Survey was a recycled phone number from a Google Voice account. But it should be noted that Google Voice allows users to choose a number specific to cities or regions, no matter where the user's IP address is located. And in case you don't know what an IP address is, IP addresses are basically a unique set of numbers and letters that are specific to a local network that identify devices. Um, they contain location information and make devices accessible for communication. So when your phone tracks your location or knows what restaurants are nearby or tells you what city a telemarketer is calling from, that's the work of an IP address. Yeah. This lead was nothing more than a dead end. <laughs> yeah. So without much more to go on, most people came to the conclusion that the Willamette Valley Dream Survey was nothing more than an art project. But even after almost 10 years, the Willamette Valley Dream Survey has never once come out publicly in any way, shape, or form. As an entity, they have never published anything in regard to their intentions or their mission or what they really are. To public knowledge, they have not had any sort of monetary gain from the dreams that they have collected. It seems the purpose of the flyers was simple, to collect data, right? Unfortunately, this number is no longer in service today, so they may have collected all the data and reports that they needed. Yeah, and that's my thing too is that as we go deeper into this with things that are art projects mm -hmm. with things that are public immersive um, exhibits, it always, always, always comes back down to monetary gain. Right. Always. So when researching and looking at these things, you can kind of tell right away. And with the Willamette Valley dream survey, I know it seems like very cool and very artistic, but they've never made any money. I think that very genuinely, they were collecting information. Regardless of what they decided to do with that information is um, up to them because you agreed. You heard the voicemail. You agreed. You gave them your permission to be used in any media or yeah. project. Yeah. Yeah. So and just because we haven't been able to find that media or project doesn't mean that, you know, it wasn't art. But I've come to the conclusion myself that, you know, it's been eight years and they're, they're no longer in service that um, I think that they were just doing they were collecting data. Yeah, I think it was some kind of artist, whether that be a writer, musician, director, visual mm -hmm. artist. And they probably were just looking for like inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, so they're just collecting dreams so they could do that. Yeah, just be inspired and use it for their own art. Yeah. Not explicitly, but just to get inspiration. It's hard to be inspired. Yeah. 
Five years later, in the middle of the pandemic of 2020, a Redditor by the name of Aliens Did 9-11. Uh, I think you'll find it actually says Aliens Did 9-LL. <laughs> aliens Did 9-LL, which we'll just call Aliens Did 9-11, would <laughs> post onto the r slash non-murder mystery subreddit with a familiar question and photo. Paraphrased, it read, quote, saw this strange poster this morning in Utah. I looked up the survey name and the same poster was put up around Oregon in 2015. Anyone know anything about this? Attached to the post was a photo of a flyer that read the same as the Willamette Valley Dream Survey poster in Portland, but instead, this one had a different name, the Happy Valley Dream Survey. Included was a new phone number, 725-333-9067. The 725 area code of the Happy Valley Dream Survey number is associated with Las Vegas, Nevada, but Salt Lake City is nowhere near the southern tip of Nevada. There's about 420 miles between the two cities. Blaze. There are... (laughs) There was also another thing different about the Happy Valley Flyer. Unlike the Willamette Valley Flyer, the Happy Valley Flyer included an email, which was happyvalleydreamsurvey at mail.com. Yes, at mail.com. I thought, is that even a thing? Never heard of it. And it actually is. Mail.com has been offering email services for over 25 years. Cut you off right there. When I read that, I thought that was so funny because I've been using Mail.com for like ages. I have no idea. I had never my, heard of Mail.com. My current email address is a... Uh, because you can you can change the like at blank oh. dot whatever. Like my... Oh, my old email. I think it was like gonjagremlin420 at cyberwizard.net. What? That was one of them. Oh my God. That's from Mail.com. Wait, I need to go get one. I, I use it for burning emails mostly because um, you don't have to you don't have to do as much verification as like gmail wait that's so good so, yeah no mail.com is really good for burners yeah you just have to sign up for something it is only to available to people in u.s and europe yeah but actually in a very unlikely and unrelated coincidence mail.com does not offer services for german-speaking countries or primary german speakers <laughs> <laughs> this is a no nazi zone literally cyber wizard they're like zone. sorry that german yeah the sophie the sophie schule schule <laughs> no you can't. More like Nazi Nots Nazza. <laughs> no Nazis here. Let's talk about Happy Valley for a moment. At least Happy Valley on the map. The Happy Valley flyer was found in Utah, specifically in the city Provo. Provo is about 45 miles south of Salt Lake City. And according to many sources online, it is believed that Happy Valley is a particular region of Salt Lake City. But it's entirely separate. Happy Valley was the original name for Utah Valley County. The county earned the name Happy Valley back when 90% of the residents were members of the Church of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. So Utah Valley County would later change to Utah County, which is how it's known today. Utah County covers about 2,145 square miles of the state. Provo is the most populous city in Utah County with 115,000 residents out of 685,000 in all of the county. Utah County is the second largest county in Utah, coming after Salt Lake County of 1.18 million. Many still refer to Utah County as Happy Valley, but Happy Valley is not Salt Lake City. That's a misconception. Okay. And also, when you search Happy Valley on maps, it also appears as a small neighborhood between the overlapping cities of West Jordan and Taylorsville, Utah. But both of those are within the Salt Lake City metro. So the Happy Valley neighborhood is so insignificantly small that it doesn't even appear on Google Maps. When searched, it's not even labeled, but pulls into a specific area. And even when zoomed in and clicking around on every square block, I could only find one unlisted ping for Happy Valley, which I was unable to find again. I think that that might be confusing. Maybe that's why people think because they search Happy Valley, Utah, 
and it like goes into that little neighborhood in Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. but it's not. Unless that neighborhood is called that, but I don't live there and I never fucking will. Why? Um, I don't know. I was thinking about converting to LDS. Mm, I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> never heard of LDS. <laughs> For the sake of perspective, Oregon's Willamette Valley is much larger than Happy Valley, with an even larger total population. The Willamette Valley covers about 4,800 square miles and boasts a population of around 3 million, which is about three-fourths of the entire state. Willamette Valley is far larger due to the fact that it is a literal geographical valley, whereas Mm -hmm. Happy Valley is just a county of cities. Coincidentally, there is another Happy Valley which exists. The town of Happy Valley is a suburban town located a little less than 10 miles southeast of Portland. Just like before, Redditors could not stop themselves from searching for the truth behind the Happy Valley Dream Survey. In doing so, it was inevitable that the searchers would end up resurrecting the mystery of the Willamette Valley Dream Survey flyers, since there was a very obvious connection. There were all these connections with, like, Happy Valleys, Valley Valleys, the same words, the same flyers. Right, and there's a Happy Valley in Oregon, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. It's all those things. Yeah. And right out the gate, many were not impressed by the Happy Valley Dream Survey post and claim they knew exactly what it was a hoax. It's not difficult to sign up for a free mail.com account, obtain a cheap Google voice phone number, print a flyer almost exactly the same as the Willamette Valley Dream Survey from five years prior, and paste it on a random sign in your city. Not hard. No. It wasn't even clear if the Happy Valley Dream Survey photo was even taken in Utah. It could have been taken anywhere. However, Amongst the skepticism of the potential return of the dream survey mysteries, there were dozens upon dozens of Redditors who were ready to begin their very own personally driven months-long investigation into the Happy Valley Dream Survey. Every single searcher was dedicated to pinpoint who was responsible for the flyers, where they were located, and why they wanted people's dreams in the first place. The first step was to call the Happy Valley Dream Survey. A Redditor by the name of One Regent or One Regent I don't know, decided to call the Happy Valley number almost immediately after the initial post from Aliens did 9-11. They would say, quote, My call went straight to voicemail after only one ring. I hung up due to not expecting the number to work, as well as not having a game plan. After hanging up, I immediately got an automated text message saying, Thank you for leaving a voicemail and participating in the Happy Valley Dream Survey. This audio is what one regent heard. So one regent decided to call Happy Valley again, this time to use the number for its purpose. For good measure, they decided to record their second call. According to one regent, they thought it was necessary to record just in case, then that way they would have proof if anything weird or suspicious occurred, according to them. They described their second call as such. As I started leaving a message, there was suddenly a noise from the other end of the line which sounded like feedback or background noise. I've never heard that before while leaving a voice message, so I thought that there must have been someone, or more plausibly a machine, on the other end listening to my message. Not a nice idea to conceive. Nevertheless, I continued. Immediately after I hung up, I received the same text message from my previous call. This confirms that the messages are automated. After this update, one regent included a link to a YouTube video which featured the recording of their call. But today, this YouTube video is not available. One Regent's post gained quite a bit of attention, and as we'll see, One Regent would actually become one of the lead investigators of the Happy Valley Dream Survey mystery, 
and collaborated with a handful of other researchers. But before they could get to the bottom of the mystery, after weeks of searching, one Regent's account would end up being deactivated. How coincidentally peculiar that one Regent would disappear without explanation after bringing so much attention to the revival of one of the weirdest mysteries to appear on Reddit. This was enough to convince most of the searchers that the whole thing was a copycat hoax created by one Regent and Aliens at 9-11, who had also suddenly disappeared as well without anyone noticing. If Happy Valley Dream Survey was nothing more than a copycat hoax, what was the motive? The same theory reared its head once again, that the mysterious dream surveys were part of a public art exhibition, or something similar. But on the sidelines, there was another theory presented which was beginning to gain quite a bit of traction. The dream surveys were part of a guerrilla marketing campaign to make money off of a product. So this was something that I had not considered at all as stated before with like the Willamette Valley Dream Survey, mm. as to public knowledge, has never benefited monetarily from their survey data and remained totally anonymous for 20 years. 20 years? What am I saying? I don't know. When did Willamette Valley Dream Survey happen? <laughs> Not 20 years ago. Uh, had remained totally anonymous for years. That doesn't really align with marketing as the motive. People really were like, it's marketing something. And I'm like, what though? Yeah. It's like, why mm. Why would you say that? Right. What made the guerrilla marketing theory relevant or credible? Yeah. A few Redditors would shine a light onto a series of comments made by one Regent and other searchers where they consistently mentioned something called futile. These naysayers would state that they believed it was obvious that one Regent and other searchers were attempting to promote futile as a product. One Regent would adamantly proclaim that they did not know who or what was responsible for the Happy Valley Flyer phone number, or email, but they were positive that it wasn't futile. Regardless, the naysayers would come to the conclusion that one Regent and Aliens Did 9-11 were most likely employed to promote this product. To them, they were right, and everyone else was wrong. Case closed. Right. <laughs> However, it seemed that these naysayers were, to put it nicely, misinformed about what exactly futile was and what they were all about. Futel is not a product, it's a service. And as we'll see, Futel's ties to the dream surveys are questionable. Although the meaning of the name Futel isn't entirely clear, I can't help but think for us tell. And this is because Futel is a service which offers free phone services for those without access to a personal phone. But the means in which they offer this service is pretty creative. Mm -hmm. Futel utilizes a multitude of old payphones to be the tools which offer their free phone service. To keep it brief, these long-abandoned relics are fixed up with spare parts, and then once rendered operational, they are wired to a Wi-Fi receiver, which allows the phone to be in full working order without having to insert any coins. Which I think is cool. Yeah. And the Futel phones all differ in appearance. To most walking down the street, it's very easy to just pass them by, but they all share the same Futel banner. And according to Futel.net, there are 11 of these incognito payphones centralized in Portland, which is where they're based. Eight are public payphones located on the street. One is within a brewery pub, and two are listed as not in service, which are surprisingly located at nonprofit social justice and activism organizations. Go figure, because I have many opinions about Futel. There are three other public payphones in service as well. The closest is one single phone in Long Beach, Washington, and the other two are in Michigan, specifically one in Detroit and one in Ypsilanti. Okay. 
all Futel payphones are designed to relay the same automated menu options in every location, with an option for every key ranging 0 to 9. Most of the operations to choose from are pretty basic, but some are a little bizarre. In 2019, a user by the name of Mr. White posted a video onto YouTube which features a real-time video recording of the automated menu from a Futel phone located on Northeast Killingsworth and 13th in Portland, Oregon. This audio is like not great, so I'm going to try and fix it as best as possible and make it as painless for you as possible, but here we go. Yeah. Just know that what you're hearing is the fixed version. This is the fixed version. Amber did her best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By pressing number eight, Mr. White chooses to be connected to, quote, a random concentration camp, which is just a transfer to the U.S. Border Patrol. Now we are getting the bigger picture about Futel. According to Wikipedia, Futel is a, quote, public arts organization and nonprofit. While offering services to those in need of assistance, they also use their free Futel phones for art and political activism which in my opinion is somewhat problematic, but also gives us a better understanding of why the dream surveys are less likely to be connected. Before we go on to discuss more of that, we have more to share with you about what Futel offers. In 2018, before Mr. White posted his video to YouTube, a guy named Brad from the YouTube channel Phone Losers of America recorded the audio from another Futel phone located in Portland on Southeast Clinton and 13th Avenue. The original recording is nine minutes with commentary, so I've chopped it up for you for your listening pleasure. <laughs> so you should be able to hear it if all goes well. Futel, to make a call, press one. For voicemail, press two. Free voicemail. For the directory, press three. For utilities, press four. For the Futel community, press five. Five, that must be a party line. For community services, press six. For the telecommunications network, press seven. For Longmont Potion Castle, press eight. Longmont Potion Castle. Press zero. I want to hear Longmont Potion Castle. Castle, which is pretty crazy. I'm bored with Longmont Potion Castle. Let's see what some of these other options are. Futel for the directory. Press three. For the directory of what? For the mayor. Press one. I want to talk to the mayor. For the druid of Sisyphus Gardens. Press two. To apologize. Press 
three. I want to apologize. For a random Hello. Please state your name after the tone, and Google Voice will try to connect you. Roy. You have reached the apology line. Our purpose is to provide a way for you to apologize for anything you feel bad about, not jeopardizing your safety. Do not identify yourself. We will record your anonymous apology and post, tweet, and or play your apology online. So, I don't know what else to do here, really. I mean, there's other options we can check out, I guess. Futel. For the Futel community. Press 5. Let's try that. For the Futel Voice Conference. Press 1. You are currently the only person no in this balls. conference. Nobody's here. See if we get an operator. For the next available operator. They paid top dollar for these voice announcements. It's weird. The operator just—it it seemed like somebody picked up, but then they hung up on me. So. Hey Brad, it's Brad. I'm calling you from the Futel payphone on Southeast 13th and Clinton Street. Hopefully this sounds just amazing because this payphone looks like it's in top-notch condition. Just look at it. Just look at it. Oh, you can't see it because it's a voice. Okay, bye. So that's pretty much it. That's the Futel payphone on Southeast Clinton Street and 13th Avenue in Portland, Oregon. So on this call, Brad chooses a couple options. Just like Mr. White, some of these options included connections to odd lines. Number five, connected to the Futel conference, which seemed to just be a group call option, but was empty. Number eight, connected to Longmont Potion Castle, which is just a recording of a seemingly random prank call, but not entirely. Longmont Potion Castle is the stage name for a, quote, experimental prankster and musician. Great who has been publishing his prank calls and music since 1986. His real name is not known to the public, and he lives in total anonymity. His albums have gained a cult following by mostly musicians, who I can only assume are the most annoying people on Earth. <laughs> Zero connects you to an operator. Hold music plays, and then the call drops for Brad. On Futel's website, they link their Tumblr page, which gives additional information about their, quote, operators. They claim that as of 2022, they had five active operators, but it's pretty clear that they are only available to answer when it is convenient for them. Mm -hmm. On their Tumblr page, there is a list of short transcripts chosen by operators who considered these certain calls to be memorable, but they are all really super boring. Um, they're all just like stuff like someone called, pressed zero for operator, operator answered, person asked to be connected to a law office, connected them to a law office. Like, it's just shit like that. It's just not memorable. But things kind of get weirder. Last but not least is number three, the directory. The directory only lists a few options in Brad's call. And the first was the mayor. And it's hard to say if this would really connect the caller to the real mayor of Portland or just another random line. As we will come to see, Futel likes to role play some of these connected lines. So, you know, I doubt it connects to them. Yeah. 
The second option being the line for the Druids of Sisyphus Gardens. And this line connects the caller to more futile operators who are posing as Druids in the woods, but they also have an automated option to leave a voicemail. Once again, a list of memorable calls are posted on their blog. And in regards to me thinking that maybe it's a little bit problematic for what they do, some of these that they thought were like interesting or funny were people who were obviously, to me, at least in my opinion, as like an outsider, were people who were having mental health crises that they were like fucking with. Mm, yeah. People are calling and they're choosing the option and they're saying, I am afraid of the internet and I'm afraid of the I-5. Can I meet you in the woods? I just met two people in the woods. Can you just connect me to a priest? I need help. I just don't think it's great to have uh, role-playing art lines in connection to people who need assistance. I, I was um, under the assumption that it, there was not a role-play going on on it. Mm-hmm. That's a little dumb. I think that they're well enough mentally that they wouldn't assume that people would hear it and have any sort of reaction to it other than what they would assume to be like role-playing. The concentration camp thing is what really piqued my interest in kind of seeing this as being a little bit over the top and a little bit um, pretentious in that there are people who I know personally in my life, in my family, who do believe in FEMA camps and that the government is going to like mass genocide within FEMA camps. And when you have someone who's mentally ill and they choose an option to be connected to a random concentration camp and it's the U.S. Border Patrol, that feeds into a really dangerous conspiracy Yeah, that ruins people's lives and ruins their mental health. And I think that maybe is just a little bit too personal for me, but that's kind of like my opinion on that. I just feel like if you want to help the community, help the community. You can kind of leave your opinion and your political opinions out of it. I do agree on that. It's a little awkward. That's cheap and weird. They've said in interviews too that They decided to create their service because they felt like people were not looking up enough and like yada, yada, yada. Shut up. And like uh, one of the co-founders said that like you look around these days and you just see these people with postures of suffocation. It's really pretentious. I understand where they're coming from, um, wanting to be politically active, but they kind of like milk their dicks super hard about it. The third option was connected to the infamous apology line. And to keep it brief, just like the other topics we have spoken about, flyers began to appear around Manhattan in the 1980s, offering a telephone service in which a caller could leave an anonymous voicemail with their apology or confession. The apology line was created by a New York City conceptual artist named Alan Bridge, who went on to publish the anonymous confessions in a series of magazines called Apology. Alan Bridge died in 1995, but the apology line lives on. See, I do think that the... uh apology line that is that's cool not unethical yeah yeah he's using it for his art but it's more of an an emotional Mm -hmm. giving for someone they know what it's for Mm -hmm. they know what it is if they want to give their apology or their confession they know it'll be used for something right that's fine you may have already pieced together why futel is relevant to the dream surveys but if not here's why at one point or another, Futel offered an option to be connected to the Willamette Valley Dream Survey. We know this because in 2019, the Portland Community College student newspaper, The Bridge, featured an article written by a student named Rory Elliott. Elliott recounted a weekend of adventure as they traveled all around Portland in search of these enigmatic Futel payphones. In their article, they tell of the myriad of options you can choose from after dialing 3 for directory. 
one of the options available was that of the Willamette Valley Dream Survey. It's not hard to assume that a Portland-based public arts organization like Futel connecting people to the Willamette Valley Dream Survey hotline is most likely an immersive public arts collaboration. But does this prove Willamette Valley Dream Survey and by extension, the Happy Valley Dream Survey are nothing more than a public art exhibition? Not necessarily. While the apology line is incredibly famous and is obviously not in collaboration with Futel, it could be possible that the same could be said for the Willamette Valley Dream Survey. The creators of Futel may have decided to include the Willamette Valley Dream Survey in their directory because it was interesting and interactive, but that doesn't mean that Willamette Valley Dream Survey is an art project. Right. For me, I'm in between. Because I feel that it makes sense that it would be an art project, but I am absolutely certain that Futel did not create or fund the creation of Happy Valley Dream Survey or Willamette Valley Dream Survey. Mm-hmm. Futel obviously has a very different approach to artistic expression and a clear political message in comparison to Willamette Valley Dream Survey. Willamette Valley Dream Survey is painfully neutral, mm-hmm. while Futel is painfully political. <laughs> it Futel, hurts. Right. Futel is a nonprofit organization who has sponsors, supporters, asks for donations, etc. Futel wants to be heard, seen, and known. They are outspoken and definitely not shy about being loud and proud. Again, the opposite of Willamette Valley Dream Survey. So Futel and Willamette Valley Dream Survey are connected, but their relationship is not personal. Right. When it comes to Happy Valley Dream Survey, the argument gets even weaker. There's just one block to remove to make the whole Jenga tower fall down. Futel is not in Utah, and probably never will be. Futel tends to offer their services in areas where the services are needed. And not to make assumptions, but we don't think that Futel services are needed in Utah County. <laughs> yeah. And would probably be unwanted due to Futel's very public and outspoken nature about their own political beliefs and ideas. Yeah. I don't think a bunch of fucking LDS members no. want to be hearing that shit. No. They don't care. No. Basically, Futel would happily slap their name on every single thing they make in order to promote themselves to gain funds to promote their art project or their services and uphold their image as a guerrilla political artist, anarchist, activist, fucking whatever, not an anonymous green survey. Yeah. That's not like their... That's not their shtick. No. (laughs) No, they want to be known. No. Futel would never allow something like Happy Valley Dream Survey to steal their thunder. Regardless of the inconsistencies in the Futel theory, it is still believed by many that Happy Valley is the same group as Willamette Valley, and that Willamette Valley and Futel are collaborators, or even the same organization. Those who believe the Futel theory are fucking stupid. Just... (laughs) They're just fucking stupid. If you just do the research, if you just look and use a little, just a single brain cell, you'll see that um, they're not connected. I don't have a spare brain cell. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you some of mine. It's fucking stupid. I'm I'm using my spare brain cell to make more art projects. Oh, shit. So with Futel out of the way, fuck them. We go back to where we left off on Reddit. Okay. So aliens did 9-11 and one regit have disappeared off of Reddit, right? The only other possible theory is that Happy Valley is a copycat hoax created by them. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to the early stages of one region's investigation and take a closer look at the series of events, which would eventually lead into the weirdest depths of Reddit and how the Happy Valley Dream Survey searchers were in way over their heads. So, like stated before... One Regent was one of the lead investigators of the Happy Valley mystery. And thankfully, their post can be found on the subreddit r slash RBI, 
which stands for Reddit Bureau of Investigation, which is super cringy. <laughs> you really think it's cringy? Reddit Bureau of Investigation. I think it's silly. Oh, okay. I, I, I mean, I guess it's kind of cute. I've been kind of, <laughs> when I was writing this, I was in high cringe mode. And you're like, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. I was in high, obviously, i super triggered and like really in high cringe mode. <laughs> and I know that it seems like kind of weirdly counterproductive to go into this segment saying we know that there's a possibility that this was a hoax created by aliens did 9-11 in one region we know that but aliens did 9-11 posted the original photo mm-hmm. and one rudget was the lead investigator mm-hmm. so everything that we have that is not fucking like totally lost to time and totally reddited out mm-hmm. is from one region's original post that are archived Mm-hmm. So that's basically all I'm trying to say. That's why we're going back. Without it, we don't know anything. So this is where we left off. One Regent's original thread was titled, Happy Valley Dream Surveys. A person organization is putting up posters in several states asking people to contact them if they've had strange dreams. They actually listen and call you back. One Regent begins with saying that they had visited the r slash non-murder mystery subreddit when they came upon Aliens Did 9-11's original post and photo of the Happy Valley Dream Survey. They found the story to be rather interesting, and once they conducted some basic research, they discovered the Willamette Valley Dream Survey had been spotlighted five years prior. In their post, One Regent says, The Oregon Flyer copies the Utah Flyer almost word for word, the only difference being that it was localized to cater to Willamette Valley. One Regent would talk about how they believed right out the gate that this whole thing was an ARG due to the fact it was similar to the legend of this man. They believed it to be connected. Seeing that there wasn't much else to do, One Regent decided to call the Happy Valley Dream Survey. Twice. One Regent would claim that they had made these calls around noontime, so by the end of the day, they had sort of forgotten that they had even called Happy Valley. That was until around a quarter after 3 a.m. when their phone began to ring. One Regent explained their sleep cycle had gotten screwed up by quarantine and that they had been staying up late watching YouTube and Netflix almost every night. They were mindlessly scrolling on their phone when the call would come in and they would see the caller ID that said, unknown name, Las Vegas, Nevada. They knew right away that the Happy Valley Dream Service number was calling them back. They began to panic and before ever having the chance to answer the call, the ringing stopped. One Regent claimed that it seemed to have only rang 8 to 10 seconds before the caller disconnected. One Regent would say in one of their updates, quote, If I had any doubts about this being legit, they were all thrown to the curb. I was so spooked at that point that I blocked the number after waiting several minutes for a voicemail, which never came. Who is responsible for these flyers? Is it one person or a network of people? Do they have ulterior motives? And why are they doing this? Immediately, one Regent flew onto r slash non-murder mysteries and declared they actually call people back and linked their call recording from earlier in the day. At this time, it seemed that everyone was engaging with the Happy Valley Dream Survey. And by the next morning, everyone was talking about their own experiences and theories. One Redditor claimed that they called the Happy Valley Dream Survey and left a voicemail, just like everyone else. But after the call, she received a text message thanking her for submitting her dream to the survey, which seemed normal. Mm -hmm. However, she would receive a second text immediately after the first. The second text would say that she was not eligible to participate in the survey because she was not in the appropriate region. She was in Kansas. Because of this, one region would go on to speculate that maybe the Happy Valley Dream Survey was available to those within regions, counties, or cities that are called Happy Valley. 
After a little bit of research, one region would discover that there were 11 other locales in the U.S. all called Happy Valley, including where they were located. They would say, in my state of Massachusetts, the Pioneer Valley area is nicknamed Happy Valley. Even though this nickname is unofficial, who's to say it doesn't count? And for the record, there's nowhere in Kansas named Happy Valley. One regent would also come to discover Happy Valley, Oregon, and this discovery would lead one regent to investigate further into Futel. One regent would claim that they had eventually gotten in touch with the co-founder of Futel and asked him directly about Happy Valley and the Willamette Valley Dream Surveys. Allegedly, the co-founder of Futel would tell them that they were not involved with either of the Dream Survey numbers and had decided to handpick Willamette Valley Dream Survey's number themselves as an option for the Futel directory after having seen a flyer for the Dream Survey in Portland, Oregon himself. Others on Reddit would reach out to more potential options for who may be responsible for the Happy Valley survey, one of which being the online collective school of metaphysics. Nice. Every year, this, quote, school puts on an event in which they offer a service with a dream hotline where participants can call about their dreams and speak to a metaphysicist in training. That's cool. That's cool. The school's area director, Christine Spritnik, would confirm that the school of metaphysics were not involved with Happy Valley at all. Aliens Did 9-11 would come back onto the thread claiming that they had discovered another flyer in Provo, but this time inside of a shopping mall. They would say, I was very spooked when I saw it. They had placed it in the middle of an art installation in the local mall. It felt very ominous since no one else was around and honestly made me feel like I was being followed. But I took the poster and I have it with me now. Yeah, I could see. I, I would feel that way probably. Yeah. Beginning to feel stuck and like nothing was really going anywhere, a few searchers began to use a little bit more force. They would begin to call, text, and email Happy Valley Dream Survey in the hopes of getting some sort of response. One region decided it would be best to unblock the Happy Valley phone number and join the others in attempting to contact the Happy Valley Dream Survey as well. On May 1st, one region left a message on the Happy Valley voicemail. They explained that they had missed a call from Happy Valley and asked them to call them back as soon as they could but no one called back. Without responses via telephone, Juan Regent began to email Happy Valley, but that was just as fruitless. It seemed the best way to get a response would be via text, and yet contact received was extremely limited. The searchers were beginning to feel more and more discouraged as the days passed, but then the searchers would finally begin to receive a variety of cryptic responses from the Happy Valley Dream Survey number, and deeper down the rabbit hole, the searchers would fall. Love a good rabbit hole. I love a good rabbit hole. Love but, a good K-hole. But not anymore. <laughs> oh, no. You're, you're rabbit holed out. I'm rabbit holed all the way out. <laughs> you rabbit holed down to hell. Through and out. Yeah. 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 In hell. Burning in hell for like a lot of this. That I think is a good place to stop off. Yeah. Let's let's come back next week. Let's do it. Let's come back next week. I hope uh, I hope everyone else is kind of as intrigued as I am. And yeah, it's a bit of a cliffhanger, but for for good reason. Yes, you know it'll it'll be fun. Ah, yes, 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 yes. We will see you next week for the grand finale, I believe, the season finale. Yes, of Radio Grave. Happy Valley Dream Service. Happy, Happy Valley, Valley Dream, Dream Survey. Happy. <laughs> I did it for the nookie. <laughs> I want to do a phone number where you, you call it and it's like, press three for Nookie. And you press it. I did it all for the Nookie. Press four for Roland. <laughs> rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> press one for one of those days. <laughs> one of those days. <laughs> okay, thanks right. for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll see you. We'll catch you next week. <laughs> Every time. Every time. We'll catch you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
At 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, multiple unidentified objects were confirmed to have entered Earth's atmosphere. It is speculated that these objects are of extraterrestrial origin. The broadcast will quiet at this time for your safety. Continue to carry out the following instructions. Radio Grave is hosted by Amber Byland and Dominique Makasuya. Music courtesy of AOA Music, Carl Casey at White Bat Audio, and intro music by Simon Bickbyler. Audio mixing and editing by Amber Byland. Logo and cover art by Dominique Makasuya. All other media and sound clips used are protected under fair use and are for the purpose of criticism, commentary, news reporting, education, and research. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.